Hello, friends and listeners of the LeaderCast podcast. This is Mo, the producer, jumping on really quick before this episode starts to let you know that we are going to be wrapping up season one of the podcast. The final episode in season one will be coming out on April 23rd. We are going to be coming back with an even better season two later this year. Stay tuned on our socials for updates as we know more, and thank you for being an avid listener. This is the LeaderCast Podcast, helping you be a leader worth following. Hello, welcome. Thank you for joining us here on another episode of the LeaderCast Podcast. I'm Bart Keeler here with LeaderCast, and I'm ready to dive into an under-discussed topic in the leadership field. Now, here at LeaderCast, we believe that leadership is for everyone, but Often, leadership experts tend to focus on how those in leadership positions, you know, the C-suite executives, can improve their skills. Well, our guest on this episode of the LeaderCast podcast is Clay Scroggins. He is the lead pastor of North Point Community Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, and he published a book in 2017 called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. The book focuses on how anyone can lead and use their influence no matter the power or position that they hold. So Clay, thank you so much for being with us here on this episode of the LeaderCast podcast. You're welcome, Bart. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited about this conversation and feel really grateful that you would use your big spotlight that you guys have at LeaderCast to shine it on what's going on in my world. So thank you. Well, you obviously are in charge of a a large group of people and and a very large uh, community of people. So you have leadership experience, but I would argue you're pretty in charge. So what do you mean by leading when you're not in charge? (laughs) Yeah, well, I am a local church pastor. I never thought I would be in this role, never thought I would be necessarily doing what I'm doing now. But yes, I am in a a very large organization. We have six churches in the Atlanta metro area, and I lead our original church, which is in Alpharetta, Georgia. And, you know, we'll have about, I don't know, between... 11, 12,000 people on any given Sunday attend one of our services. And then we'll have, we have about 110 people on our staff. That's what I lead. So yes, I have more authority now than I ever thought I would have. But I think it was, it was actually the growth of my authority, taking a big step into what I thought would be an easier lane of leadership or a more broad lane of leadership because I was gaining more authority that really taught me that, oh, there's really a myth in leadership that once you get to be in charge of more, then you're going to be able to lead more. And that's just not necessarily true, that the opportunity to lead really comes with influence and it doesn't come with authority necessarily. So that's, yeah, I would say my professional journey is really what has allowed me to bump into some of the things that I wrote about and how to lead when you're not in charge. Well, I think this is, like I said in the opener, this is a really under-discussed topic in our leadership field because you know, I think we we don't realize how much power we do have or how much authority or influence we have when we don't have that title. And your story itself is is pretty interesting. I mean, like you said, you didn't start off, you know, wanting to be a pastor. You, here you are in charge, but you've had a lot of steps along the way. And I'm curious what you learned in your path that really opened your eyes to what it meant to have influence and not necessarily authority. Yeah, I was in college in Atlanta. That's why I moved to Atlanta in 1998. I was studying engineering at Georgia Tech. 
I got involved with North Point. I actually interned one summer at North Point. I was facilities intern, worked on our the team that takes care of the building, really. And I did that just because I was so interested in this organization and wanted to be around it. And of course, my parents were not super excited about this out-of-state tuition that they were paying <laughs> that I would go get a job at a church, you know. But they've since, you know, I think they understand now that there was a lot of that that was in me that was me trying to find my way like all of us do when we're in our in those college age years but uh i i think what i've learned or how i've learned what i've learned was really you know those those career moves that you make where you take on more authority so for me when i was i guess i was about 26 when i graduated from grad school i had just gotten a master's degree in theology i took a job at one of our campuses in the Atlanta area, I was doing student ministry. I was working with high school students, really trying to help create a program that would provide mentorship and help them make better decisions and have fewer regrets in life. And I remember being in that position, you know, being eager, being having all these hopes and dreams, all these desires. I was very well-intentioned. I had a lot of things I wanted to do, but I had bosses, multiple bosses, like most people <laughs> listening to this probably have. And I was told no on things, you know, no, that's not the way we do things. Or yeah, that's a good idea, but we don't have money for that right now. Or that's just not exactly what we would do. So we're not going to do that. So I remember thinking, man, I just wish I want to be in charge so that I can accomplish all the things that I want to accomplish. So I ended up spending about five years working in student ministry when I got the opportunity to move into a higher level of leadership. I was a campus pastors or lead pastors over one of our locations, not the one I'm currently in now, but one of our other locations. And I remember thinking when I moved into that role, okay, here we go. Now I've got the keys to the car. Now they're giving me, you know, at the time I literally had the keys to the building, I guess. I've got, you know, we've got our own staff. We've got our own building. We've got our own program, but I still had multiple bosses. And we operate as an organization, much like a franchise organization, where we have locations, that execute the vision and the plan. And then we've got a central team that is really the team that determines the plan, that determines the direction. And I remember even in that new role where I had more responsibility than I ever thought I would have, I had more authority than I ever thought I would have, thinking, okay, now I'm going to be able to do what I've always wanted to do. And the same thing happened. There were still bosses that said, no, that's not what we're going to do. Maybe that's a good idea, but we're not going to do that now. Or that's a terrible idea. We're never going to do that, depending on yeah. what the idea was. And I remember just thinking, this is so frustrating. This is disappointing. This is sad. This is what I was hoping it wouldn't be. I was hoping that I would now have the authority to do what I wanted to do. So, you know, um, I've got little kids. Part, part of my role as a dad is doing all of our grocery shopping. I enjoy going to the grocery store. You know those grocery carts? Do you have kids carts? I don't have kids. Oh, I don't know if you've seen the. You've probably at least noticed them. But you know, at the, at the most grocery stores, they've had those uh, grocery carts that are shaped like little cars. Absolutely. And, I'm jealous I can't uh, use them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. My kids love, I mean, they've loved them ever since they were one, two, three years old. And so I'll put them in that little cart and they've got that steering wheel that makes the kids feel <laughs> like they're driving, you know, so that, and I'll, I'll play along, you know, they'll turn the wheel left. I'll turn the cart left. I'll turn the wheel right. I'll turn the cart right. And, you know, eventually my wife will text me and say, Hey, hope you're on the way home. And I'll be like, well, if I on the way home, you mean haven't started shopping? Then yes, you know, we're on the way home. So <laughs> I have to say, Hey, we gotta, we gotta get going. And so I'll be pushing the cart straight, you know, headed towards the things that we need. They'll see the candy aisle. They'll start turning the wheel left, but the cart will go straight because I'm like, no, we, we, we got we to gotta get this done. And they'll look up at me 
with this look of bewilderment, bewilderment or dismay or sadness, disappointment, you know, because they feel like the, you tricked me, you know, you lied to me, you, you gave me this wheel, but it doesn't work. And it's what every one of us has felt at different times in our life when we're in a position where we're not fully in charge. And even though I have more authority now than I ever thought I would have or even wanted to have, I'm still not the senior leader. I'm not the most in charge in our organization. And so sometimes no feels like you're telling me the steering wheel doesn't work. And what I have learned is that the steering wheel does work. It just doesn't work through authority. It works through influence. And what's really interesting to me is that even when you get to be the CEO or the senior level position, authority is still not what makes the steering wheel work. I mean, sure, you can walk around and say, hey, do this or you're fired, but that will not get you very far. I mean, that's not, <laughs> right. that's not the kind of organization that people want to work for. So even still, even when you're the most in charge person in the room, you still have to learn how to leverage influence to make the steering wheel work. So that's has been my own professional journey. So, you know, the that's a really great question. You ask how to, you know, where, where have I learned this? I mean, for me, it's really the school of hard knocks, you know, the, those times in life where it didn't work out like I wanted it to. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point about, about the, the steering wheel that doesn't actually work. As a uh, follower, a lot of times we can feel like we're just doing what we're told. But as a right. leader, how do we make sure that our followers have some authority and their own little, you know, go-kart at the store? You know, how do you make sure that they do have some authority and some say in what goes on there? Well, I think more than even letting them feel like they have authority, I want them to feel like they have influence. Right. So the people on our team, you know, now I've got, we've got 110 people on the staff that I lead. I want them to know that your influence goes far beyond your position on the org chart. And so to reframe your question, I think what I would want them to know is not, hey, I just want to remind you you have authority. I want to remind them no matter how much authority you have, you actually have more influence than you could ever imagine. So how do you do that? Well, you listen really well. You make sure that they know that their voice matters and their voice counts. You respond to what you're hearing. You know, you make changes based on what people are saying. You allow interns to walk in and after a month you say, hey, what do you see? What do we need to change? What's weird about what we're doing? What's out of place? What's odd? We do a 90-day review and a year review for new employees because we want to let them know, hey, your voice matters. You've got the freshest, you've got one of the most important perspectives in our organization because you're brand new. And we want to know, what do you see? What do you feel? What are you hearing? What are you noticing? And then you respond to it. And if you don't respond to it, you're letting everyone know your voice really doesn't matter and you really don't have influence, which we've all been in organizations like that. But if you listen, if you actually are curious and ask questions, and if you convince yourself there are things that I do not know, and there's one of the challenges of being in a position of authority is there are always things that you don't see because you're further away from the action, you're further away from the store, you're further away from where the clients or the customers actually are. And so making sure that those people in those positions know that your voice matters, your perspective matters, and you ask a lot of questions, listen really well, and then respond to what you hear. I think if you do that, you create a culture where people really do believe that their influence goes far beyond their authority. So how would you describe how you use your influence versus your authority? You know, do you have ways that you try kind of check yourself or how do you go about doing that? Developing world-class leaders in your community is now easier than ever with LeaderCast. In addition to our flagship May event, becoming a presenting partner allows you to stream multiple events per year, each with an opportunity to earn money. 
the new LeaderCast lets you invite 1 to 1,000 people with unlimited streaming opportunities. Check out more at LeaderCast.com or the link in our bio. Yeah, I'm not the top dog. I mean, I've got multiple bosses. I mean, we, um, yeah. I, I, honestly, I mean, there's meetings that I'm not invited to. I've got numerous bosses that could call me today and change what we're going to do on Sunday. I've got bosses that could call me today and say, hey, your staff's at a different size now, or you now have a different group of people reporting to you. So I do have more authority than I ever thought I would have, but I, I don't have all of the authority in our organization. To your question, though, of what do I do to try to make sure that I'm leveraging influence and not authority. If I could tell this quick story, I think it might help a little bit. When I was 22, I was trying to graduate from college. I say trying because I was, I was an engineering major at Georgia Tech and I shouldn't have been. My parents told me when I was a kid that I was good at math and science and I mistakenly believed them. And I was good enough to get into Georgia Tech. I was not good enough to graduate, quite honestly. And I was really struggling to get through. I really should have changed majors and done something that was probably fit my passion and what I was interested in, but I was just stubborn. And so I was trying to get through these last few classes that I had, and I was doing an internship at the state capitol. You know, Georgia Tech's in the middle of Atlanta, which is the state capital of Georgia, and we're about a mile or two away from all of the offices at the state capitol. And I was doing an internship there. I was working in their policy group in the governor's office. And I was sitting, my desk was, as an intern, you know, I did what every intern does. I was getting copies and making coffee. But the best part about the job was my desk was right next to the conference room where a lot of the policy meetings would happen. And so the governor was frequently in and out of that, of that conference room, you know, discussing new transportation legislation or new education policy. I think this particular day they were talking about the University System of Georgia and some changes they were making to it. I remember this one particular day where they're having this meeting and I could hear the voices in the room begin to escalate. There was clearly some sort of tension in the room. And out of nowhere, I hear this banging on the table, just pow, pow, pow. And then this voice that boomed over all the other ones that said, I am the governor of the state of Georgia. You will listen to me. And I remember, you know, I'm I'm 22 at the time. I, I probably, honestly, I had never read a leadership book. I had definitely not taken a leadership class. I had never been to a leadership conference. I certainly had never been a leader cast. And I remember sitting at the desk thinking, oh no, something's broken. Because if you have to, at the top of your lungs, remind everyone in the room that you're the governor of Georgia, when this person had just won an election just months before this, and everyone in the room had worked on his campaign. So they hadn't forgotten he was the governor of Georgia. But what he was doing is he was he was bringing out his authority and then he was wielding his authority in front of others to remind them the power that he had so that they would do what he wanted them to do. So your question of what do I do to remind myself not to use my authority or, you know, uh, now and the way they would say this on the street, the way the teens are saying this these days is, you know, making sure that you're not trying to flex on people. (laughs) The way what I try to remind myself is I try not to use any type of behavior that's wielding my power. You know, I've got to be really careful when I'm in meetings, especially if I'm the most senior person in the meeting. If I have the most authority, you know, I try to listen more than I speak. Uh, I try to make sure that if I do bring up something that's my own opinion, I've got to say, hey, just a reminder, this is just my preference. This is not a principle. This is just my opinion. But I just wanted to throw it into the middle of the room. But you got to know that, you know, as you know, when you're the boss in the room, that your power 
you know, your word way more than they would any anywhere else. I remember a guy who's kind of become a indirect mentor of mine. His name is Frank Blake, was the CEO of the Home Depot. I guess he retired about five years ago. Frank said when he got into the job as the CEO, Bernie Marcus, one of the founders of the Home Depot, pulled him aside and said, hey, Frank, congrats on being named CEO. I just want to remind you, you're not funny. And he said, it kind of took him back a little bit. Like, why is he telling me I'm not funny? I mean, Frank's not, he's a, he's an attorney and he, he's, he even would say to himself, you know, he's not a real funny guy, but he said he knew that about himself. And he thought, why is he telling me this? And he said, I'm just telling you, you're not funny because now that you're the boss, everyone is going to laugh at your jokes and you need to know that you're not funny. And the way Frank took that was, I mean, it was really, I mean, Frank recounts the story. I've heard him do it multiple times now because it's a way of reminding himself that he needs to go above and beyond to ask questions, to be curious, to listen and to learn as deeply into the organization as you can. And I think that's how you gain influence. And that's how you use influence when you do find yourself as the one who's in charge, because you're going to be tempted to use your authority, to use your power. And as I've said a few minutes ago, that's just not the kind of organization that anyone wants to work in. I mean, if your boss came to you today, Bart, and said, if you don't get this stuff done by the end of the day, you're fired. Well, what would you do? I mean, you'd probably get the stuff done but you would at the same time probably look for your LinkedIn password and try to update your account to make sure that you're ready to make a job change because none of us want to work in an organization where the boss has to wield the power to get people to move. We want to work in an organization where the authority in the room is using influence to cast vision, to connect with us relationally, and to encourage us to make the decisions we need to make so that we can accomplish what we want to accomplish. I really wrote this book for people that aren't in charge. And that question you asked about what do you do when you are in charge, that's really a, that's a thought provoking, that's a terrific question that I really haven't thought a ton about, but that's my five minute answer to your simple question. <laughs> well, I appreciate the honesty. And I think that I ask you that because it is something that, you know, we have leaders of all levels listening to us and, sure. you know, it's something that you, this book is very pointed, as you said, to those people who are, they have probably no leadership title. At all, you know, yeah. I mean, they, uh, yeah. they probably don't have any real authority, but people who do need to understand that just You're being right. in power doesn't mean that you are right. No. So that kind of brings me to my next question. It's the idea that you talk about in your book of, of challenging up. Um, and yeah. I, I think that's a really good way, not at one, I think it's a, the way that, you know, a company or a business should run because it'll obviously, hopefully anyway, lead to greater success for the company. But when you're in that position of like, well, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm not really the most important person in the room or, you know, like, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this. You know, how do you start that conversation and, and initiate that challenge of the people above you? You know, what's the steps to going through that? Yeah, this, this is a real point of passion for me because I got in the middle of writing this content and the book really revolves around these four big behaviors that I think any one of us can do to try to leverage, cultivate more influence. And as I got really through writing about those behaviors, I started thinking, you know, if somebody were to read this and if somebody were to apply this, chances are they would think, oh no, I need to go have a conversation with my boss now because I've got some ideas, I've got some plans, I've got some changes that I think we need to make. And change only comes through challenge. Any, any, any change is usually precipitated by some sort of challenge. The problem, though, is that when we are challenged as humans, whether we're in charge or not, anyone who challenges me 
it naturally is going to create an adversarial relationship or at least an adversarial conversation. And so really having a plan for how you're going to approach that conversation is so important because if you don't, it's just going to be so much more difficult to create safety in the room. And safety is the most important ingredient in any conversation. When you lose safety, we all naturally lean toward behavior that isn't usually isn't progress oriented. So for me, one of the things I try to do, you know, I mean, just recently, there's been some metrics that are in our organization that I feel like are a little archaic, or they're just not, I feel like they need to be updated. And changing metrics, you know, that's a really tense conversation. You know, you can imagine, I mean, it's like, it's like a senator wanting to change the term limits on their, how long they're in the Senate, or it's like a a football coach wanting to change the way that we score the game. I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, there's just a lot of emotion around that because, you know, naturally it feels like, oh, are you just trying to change the scoreboard so that it looks like you're winning <laughs> when that's, you know, of course, I don't feel like that's what I'm trying to do, but I knew this has a chance to go over like a pregnant pole vaulter, you know, not really yeah. well. And so the first thing I try to do is I try to think through well, first of all, I try to prepare. I try to sit down and think about, okay, how do I want this conversation to go? What outcome am I trying to bring? I really try to encourage myself to not just bring problems, but to bring solutions. So once I've thought through, you know, here's the outcome I'm looking for. Here's the solution I'm trying to bring. Here's what I hope to happen. I really try to think through what are the problems my boss is going to have? What are the challenges that, what is this going to create in him or in her that would create a barrier in the conversation? And then I try to speak, I try to speak directly to those. So for me, you know, in this situation about the metrics, I tried to immediately say, hey, you know, first of all, I just want to thank you for even having this conversation. This is really great. This is so important to me. And I just really value the fact that you're so open to letting us have a conversation like that. I try to build rapport. I try to build a bridge of connection that's strong enough to bear the weight of this conversation. And then I, I try to speak directly to those concerns I have. You know, hey, I want to have a conversation about the metrics that we have in our organization. But I first just want to tell you that if I were in your shoes, I would think, oh, of course you want to change the metrics because you want it to seem like you're winning because you feel like you're not. I just want to let you know that is not what this is. If in the end, this makes it look like that we're losing more than it seems like we currently are, so be it. I still think these metrics are, I think it's an important conversation and allow me to give clarity to the people on our team. So I try to speak directly to those. And then what I try to do is I try to think of as many questions as possible. You know, if you can mm, enter a conversation yeah. with curiosity, it helps so much more because it gives you empathy. You know, it allows you to understand, hey, there was a reason why these metrics were created. There's a reason why my boss believes in these metrics. And there's a reason why changing these metrics have negative implications on things that I can't even see. I've learned in my life that arrogant people do not ask questions. The reason why they don't is because they have it all figured out. They already yeah. know all the answers. And so if I can convince myself that there is information that I do not have, that if I had would allow this situation to make more sense, then it just allows me to be more curious, you know, to really suspend my own judgment, to gain a sense of curiosity and to be able to walk into a situation trying to learn and not trying to make a point. You know, that's one of Stephen Covey's seven practices is trying to understand before being understood. And so then after I've asked as many questions as possible, I'll try to gain more knowledge about the situation. I'll try to articulate that. You know, we do this when my wife and I do a lot of mentoring with couples that are engaged to be married. And one of the practices we do or one of the exercises we do is we, we do an exercise on active listening because it's so important in a relationship to let the other person know that they are heard. Being heard is one of the most powerful forms of communication. And in a, obviously, it's important in a marriage, but it's also important in a boss-employee relationship. So trying to 
speak back to the boss and let this person know, hey, I just want to let you know, as far as I can understand, what you're saying is these metrics were put in place for this reason. This is what we're trying to measure. This is why we're trying to measure it. And these are the, these are the implications that could happen if we were to change these metrics. Is that, did I say that fair? Is that correct? You know, I try to let them know. I, I, I heard you. And then I try to pass on the, okay, well, here's an idea I have. Here's why this is important to me. And here's why I want to suggest the change I want to suggest. Now, if you fail to go in that order, declaring your intentions, advocating for your boss, asking as many questions as possible, acknowledging what you heard, then you will eventually have to go in reverse direction of that same plan. You'll eventually have to go back and acknowledge what you meant to say, ask for forgiveness, and then advocate for why you want to still maintain the healthy relationship that maybe you walked in with. So that's the plan that I try to go into a conversation with if I know it's a challenging, high-stakes conversation. Well, I think my follow-up has to be, what happens when they say no? And I think there's a difference between no, that you know we're not going to change the metrics because this is you know an X, Y, and Z reasons. But there's also a difference between no, I don't really want to think about that right now, or I don't, you know, I'm not convinced. Yeah. You know, yeah. What's the difference there? How do we distinguish? Yeah, I've learned, you know, obviously you have to know that the the answer no is naturally discouraging. So, you know, there's so much self-talk in leadership. You know, part of leading yourself is learning how to talk to yourself. And so you've got to know that if you walk out of the room with the answer no, your natural inclination, your emotional response is going to be discouragement. Leaders that cultivate influence have a sense of positivity that gives them the ability to rise above discouragement. And so you have to convince yourself that he might have said no, she might have said no, but I'm going to reframe that as not yet. And maybe that seems like mental gymnastics. Maybe it seems like you're just lying to yourself, but great leaders have this sense of optimism that pushes through no. And one of the only ways I know how to do that is to convince myself that, okay, yeah, he might have said no this time, but I'm going to con- I'm going to convince myself that he just said not yet. He didn't say no in general. He just said no, not for now. And so maybe it means I've got to go back to the drawing board and change my approach. And so maybe it means I've got to get a new set of data. Maybe it means I've got to get some new advocates from a direction that maybe from a, a different angle. Maybe it means I need to say, hey, would you allow me to test it in this case? I need to show him, you know, particularly if you have a boss that's a highly concrete thinker that has, that is not real able to think abstractly, then maybe you need to go, hey, would you mind if I take six weeks and allow this to um, create a model that I could try, that could, I could come back and show you, hey, in a real small sample size, here's how we change that and here's what it looked like. Would you be open to that? You know, most people are not opposed to small changes that have uh, an expiration date on it. But if you say, hey, I'm going to do this from now until, you know, the end of the year, most people are willing to give you a try. I just think convincing yourself that just because you heard no doesn't mean that no is the final answer. I mean, there's plenty of stories of people in the world that have done amazing things and the first answer they got was no but they didn't take no for an answer, right? I mean, we've learned that from Tom yeah. Boy. You know, that they, <laughs> they went back to the drawing board and they found a new approach. So I think that's what you've got to convince yourself. Yeah, that's a really great answer. And, and you talk about positivity in your book and how, and I think this is true no matter where you are in any leadership, be it your leadership through influence or leadership through your title, being positive and, and trying to always, you know, understand 
how you can still turn it around. But I'm, I'm curious, uh, again, how do we know what our influence is? I mean, you talk about cultivating influence. How do we understand what influence we have and how we can tap into that? Because I think a lot of times we get that no answer because we're not really sure what influence we have. So we, we kind of do feel discouraged. So how do we understand our influence and how we tap into it? Yeah, you know, that's a fantastic question, Bart. And I would say the work you do to assess your own influence is so important because it will create for you the plan that you need on how to lead yourself well. Because ultimately, if you're in a position where you do not have enough trust right now with the people that you work around or the people that you work for, to be able to offer a suggestion and people to even listen or take, you know, hear it. A lot of times what we found is we have interns that roll in for the summer or roll in for the school year. And after a month, they get frustrated because they feel like, well, I just feel like I've suggested a few things and nobody's done anything. And, you know, and that basically what they're saying is I don't have any influence and that's frustrating. Yeah. So for me, I've tried to turn that around and really go, you know what, I need to do a better job of of seeking and soliciting feedback on how much influence I actually have. Because my currency, the greatest currency I have in leadership is influence. And if I don't know where I am in life, if I don't know where I am in regard to my influence, then it's difficult to know how to get to a place where I can make change or push an idea forward. So I would say the easiest way to do that is to ask somebody, you know, to do some form of solicit some form of feedback from the people around you. You know, the, the simplest way that I've done it is I've had a coworker of mine facilitate a 360 on, on me that I do, you know, once every couple of years where I ask a few questions. Number one, I ask, hey, what am I doing that inspires you? I like that question better than what yeah. am I good at or, you know, <laughs> what are my strengths? But I want to know, I mean, what is there anything I'm doing that you think, wow, that's actually inspiring? And then secondly, what am I doing that's frustrating you? Or what am I doing that's bothering you? And that's a very personal question. And then the third question I use is, what do I not know about myself? Or what's something that you think I don't know about myself? You know, that's speaking to blind spots. And then I, I ask the person who facilitates it for me to categorize it. And I don't read the raw data. I have found that to be not really helpful emotionally to read the raw comments from an anonymous survey, because a lot of times people have, you know, they have keyboard courage, you know, <laughs> they, I would never say this to your face, but I'll type it in an anonymous form, which that's just, honestly, it's just not very helpful because what you end up doing is you spend a lot of energy trying to figure out who said what, as opposed to really trying to find the negative truth. And then the other reason I asked somebody to facilitate this for me is because I don't want to know the one-off comment. You know, if somebody has beef with you, if there's somebody that you work with that just doesn't like you because you went to a different school or because they're jealous because you got a promotion or you're getting more opportunities than they're getting, those comments aren't necessarily helpful for them. But I want to know what are the themes? What are the things people are actually saying that are consistent, that are common? And those are the things that I need to pay attention to. And then the, the great news is that allows me to assess how much influence I have. But better than that, it creates a plan for how I need to lead, my, lead myself in such a way that would allow me to cultivate even more influence. Well, Clay, I thank you so much. I mean, this has been really just great feedback, especially for someone like me. I'm, I'm not in, you know, a top leadership authority. I, I'm, you know, just here as a team member. And, and it's really useful to hear how we can utilize what we know and, and what we see and, and how we can still affect change and still help our organizations as you know, more than just doing what we're told. I think it's just a great topic, but I have 
One last question that I have to ask before we get out of here, and it, it's really simple. You know, our mission here at LeaderCast is to fill the le- world with leaders worth following. So, you know, what, it, what in your view is a way to be a leader worth following? Yeah, I would say the decision that you make today on how you're going to lead yourself is probably the most important decision that any one of us makes. And this, this matters whether you're in a position of authority or whether you're not. Um, there's a quote that I've bumped into over the last few years that has just been really impactful for me because, you know, everybody has that feeling of I'm not getting enough opportunity or I'm not getting enough. They haven't given me enough authority. Tom Watson, former CEO of IBM, mid 20th century, he said, nothing so conclusively proves your ability to lead others is what you do on a day-to-day basis to lead yourself. Nothing so conclusively proves your ability to lead others is what you do on a day-to-day basis to lead yourself. And so what that tells me is if there's opportunity that I feel like I'm not getting, or if I feel like I'm getting passed over for something, I can use all of that emotional energy to be frustrated or to be discouraged, or I can use that emotional energy to fuel me to lead myself better to work on those areas of growth that I know I need to work on or to become uh, more of an expert in the areas of strength. But nothing more conclusively proves my ability to lead others is what I do on a day-to-day basis to lead myself. So it's really just, it's an, an opportunity for me to turn the tables around and go, you know what, instead of being frustrated at what I'm not getting to do, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to lead myself better. And the great news about leading yourself well is if you lead yourself well, you'll always be well-led. And that's the good news about self-leadership. So I would just leave, leave you with that encouragement that I think if you do that, I think you will eventually be a leader worth following. You don't have to be in charge in order to take charge. And everyone leads something no matter what position you're in. And uh, at the very least, the primary responsibility we have is to lead ourselves really well. Well, uh, thank you again. I mean, the wisdom you've shared on this episode has been really impactful. I know for me and, and for our audience. So where can we find, you know, other content that you have? I mean, obviously you have a book out, but I know you have some more to share. Where can we find that? Yep. I'm on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at Clay Scroggins. And then we've got a website, claysgroggins.com. It's got a, some other links and resources. I would love to, I would love to hear from you. So thanks for asking me that question. And honestly, uh, Bart, thanks for having me on this podcast. This has been an invigorating conversation for sure. Well, Clay, thank you again so much. And hopefully this has invigorated our audience. And, you know, you can find all episodes of the LeaderCast podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And, of course, you can go to LeaderCast.com for our podcast, blogs, and other leadership content. You can interact with the podcast by using hashtag the LeaderCast podcast on all of your social media. And we will see that. We'll get some suggestions from you. And thank you all for listening. And we hope to have you on our next episode of the LeaderCast podcast. LeaderCast is committed to filling the world with leaders worth following. Through live event experiences and on-demand education, LeaderCast exists to guide you on your leadership journey. Learn more about what LeaderCast can do for you at LeaderCast.com. Thanks for tuning in to the LeaderCast podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. In today's ultra-competitive job market, top-tier talent are leaving companies in search of top-tier professional development. Now more than ever, you must invest in your emerging leaders. LeaderCast 365 is a world-class professional development system 
featuring access to three annual LeaderCast events, a post-event journey to activate the inspiration and insights gained from LeaderCast events, plug-and-play lunch and learn programs with group discussion questions, concise video courses to address weaknesses and build upon strengths, and our library of more than 1,200 short-form videos from a slate of industry experts organized into 16 key professional development categories. Invest in your all-star employees and attract new top talent to join them with LeaderCast 365.